I'm just a boy from Kansas out to save the world from chronic disease. And I truly mean that. Nobody is in control of your health but you. I can't heal you. Your doctor can't heal you. You have to heal you. And it's all about having the education empowerment to know what you need to be changing within yourself, within your life, to set your soul free and accomplish that best life that we all like to talk about. And I truly believe that the greatest medicine of all is to teach people how not to need it. I'm Brendan Vermeyer, the original Holistic Savage. Welcome to the Holistic Savage Podcast. testicular fortitude to actually bridge the gap yeah right between between what you're saying which is the fastest growing segment of the healthcare population that this what we call the citizen scientists not Mm. patients right Mm -hmm. um and actually using that somewhat threatening language to this other well-developed community which is Mm -hmm. basically a post-world war one world war two triage mash critical care you know, surgical system. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I think people, when I come back here from Borneo and people tell me over and over, the system's broken, Dr. Miller, the system's broken. My response is, I don't think so. I think it has an identity crisis. Mm. And I think part of that, the you know, you want to be citizen scientists, don't want to own is that if what I'm saying is true and the system has an identity crisis, and it really never purported to be a preventive medicine, integrative, holistic center. And that means the responsibility falls on you, right? So when, if the greatest medicine of all is to teach people how not to need it, they have to be willing to learn mm-hmm. and, then, and then carry that responsibility. And that those, was... are, those are inconvenient truths for people, man. Oh, yeah. I'm all about the inconvenient truths of of life, because it's like, until you actually face it, it's just pure stagnancy. And that was, that was some mind blowing. Man, it's I'm excited to talk to you today. This is gonna be a good time. Um, You know, I remember when we first met, I was just like, this guy, who is this guy? You're like, a well, so which, by the way, I started recording, because as soon as you started getting on to some good stuff, I was like, Oh, shoot, like, I need to capture this. This is good. And I remember um, that was something I was really impressed about is uh, I feel like we're kind of on the same frequency, but you have a totally different background, totally different um, perspective. And so for me, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of this young guy. I don't, you know, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm just like, well, this makes sense to me. But then I love how you have sort of this, um, you know, paradigm, this way of looking at it as the, the citizen scientist. I remember you talking about that you know, in uh, Arizona back in May. And it, it, I really liked the way that you did that. So I definitely want to explore that a little bit, all sorts of good things. So um, as we're going, you know, we can just talk about anything and everything. Uh, I've got a podcast manager, she can edit whatever, yeah. so we can always remove stuff. I figure I'll keep you about an hour, but I want to be super respectful of your time. So by all means, like whenever you have to go. You know, so. Yeah, and we got to touch on hemp. I mean, what's going on with hemp? Our, the credit card processing companies have pretty much backed out of even, you know, swiping and running the charges. So, you know, there's stuff going on there, man. It's, uh, it's savage and it's gritty. And um, we're in a historic time in medicine, brother. I, 
I, uh, there's, I, I, I would venture to say there's never been a more exciting time to practice medicine. And um, it, it isn't due to major paradigm shifts within the system. Mm-hmm. It, this almost $4 trillion industry that you and I, probably you, but I certainly still was in the generation that grew up believing that that ivory tower along Lake Drive here that had 500 beds in that hospital, like that's where healing occurred. Mm-hmm. And outside of that was sort of like ancient Chinese secrets or a little bit of mom's, you know, castor oil. But like, yeah. if you really wanted to get well and, and heal and you wanted to find the smartest practitioners, you'd go to that hospital. And I, I used to mow the lawns across the street from there and look over and watch the guys and girls in their white coats go in and think, gosh, if I could only be that person someday, mm-hmm. right? But Wall Street Journal 2008 polled over 3,000 physicians asking about fulfillment, and 8% came back saying they were satisfied in their careers. Mm. Over half said, if you gave me the same money in a different job, I would probably go take it. Wow. So what they do well and what, they've all, what the system has always done well, and I remember 15 years of cosmetic surgery and facial reconstructive surgery, I know this very well. We, if you need emergency care, intensive care, surgical care you're in the best place in the world yeah you know if you have a great saturday night here along lake drive at the beach and you crash your moped you're you're in the best place you wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world yeah but the system um you know spends two percent of its budget on preventive medicine so for you and i to come into a space like this as as colleagues who want to carry this banner for the citizen scientists and uh Try to ignore those facts um, while potentially ignoring the fact that the average um, deductible for people now, for an individual, is $3,900. And for a family, it's almost $9,000 in America. They need the safety net. They need the system to be identified for what it is. Mm -hmm. It's your MASH unit. After World War I and World War II, we came back and set up a fancy MASH unit, and it has not changed. And they don't know how to make that economical. I just met with one of the largest healthcare systems in Wisconsin. And they're, they're desperately reaching out to new spaces, including integrative docs, to say, how, how do we get back on board with the front edge of medicine? Because we're falling behind. Mm-hmm. So you have, these, you have these principles set up. People need the safety net, but identify it for what it is. For, for God's sake, have a primary care doc, right? Yeah. And, and have... You know, I would know who you, what general surgeon you want to go to if you need a hernia repair or you need, you know, a GI doc. But then understand that if you're going to step into our space, it's exciting. It's absolutely powerful. Even um, the CDC and P said 80% of chronic disease can be controlled by lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But you got to be ready to take responsibility. Yeah. And you and I, people go, oh, I love the fact that he calls me a citizen scientist and not a patient. Not every patient in our practice gets the moniker citizen scientist. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're reading on your own, if you're coming in and showing me books and you're challenging me on our research, um, then that's when we go, all right, you're, you're a citizen scientist. Yeah. And then, Brendan, the question is, legally um, and ethically, what, what latitude does that give us? Mm-hmm. So we took hemp oil and took our citizen scientist community and said, we want 67 of you people to come in and we want to study hemp oil with you because they're already doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the madness, right? Yeah. You and I hear people saying that they're experimenting with their bodies every day anyway. 
Yeah. And they want to engage someone like you. They want to engage a, a, a physician like me to be an advocate, but mm-hmm. to also help them understand the parameters of the sandbox that they're in. Right. And hemp oil is a great example of how to engage citizen scientists. But, you know, if you're using language like we're doing human research or clinical trials, um, it, it, and we, we adhered very strictly to the Helsinki principles of um, doing human research. Um, somewhere, this kind of a conversation need to, needs to expand into the regulatory arena so that they, they can give some kind of a nod or approval or easier process for uh, clinicians like myself, coaches and health practitioners like yourself, to make the citizen scientist experience something that we can actually crowdsource, right? Mm-hmm. Pockets of citizen scientists around the world are meeting in coffee shops and running experiments with this hemp oil or that essential oil. Um, there's this strange divide mm-hmm. between educated people like ourselves and the immense potential of those citizen scientists out there studying and experimenting with their own body. And you know how I know there's a divide? Because Amazon's not involved, Google's not involved, um, and we, unlike any other industry in the world, we're not crowdsourcing user experience. Mm-hmm. Where's the freaking data on the millions of people around the world who are experimenting with hemp and cannabis? Right. It's, they have it. We just are all, we're afraid to set up the systems to go and grab it from social media. Right, right. But every other every other industry is doing it. Your the auto industry knows exactly how you're thinking about cars. The insurance oh, yeah. industry knows. The clothing industry knows. Food industry knows. Yeah, it's kind of mind blowing. Like you you look through. I mean, all the social media stuff and just all the data that they're tracking. And it, the level of technology is scary. And yet there definitely is this this huge kind of holistic citizen scientist. You know, like everybody's tired of being sick and tired and. Um, I really like how you describe the system as, you know, having an identity crisis because, uh, you know, I get tired of the whole, the, the, the whiny, the point, the finger, the, oh, well, the system's broken and it, you know, it's somebody else's fault. And again, that's kind of the whole point of the citizen, citizen scientist and, and taking ownership of your own health. But you're right. It's like, there's in a way, kind of the holistic alternative integrative space it's so unmonopolized. It's so untapped. Or, but but it, as you said, it's such an exciting time to be <clears throat> in the industry because there's so many things happening and developing. I was at my uh, parents' house the other day, and you know my stepmom she she had whatever kind of fancy new Nutrafol. I had never heard of this thing, and she's like, "Oh yeah, they put me on it for my hair falling out." The dermatologist. I'm like you need medication for your hair to grow like okay but then i actually look at the bottle and it was a nutraceutical it was you know iodine and selenium and ashwagandha and you know biotin and all the nutrients and honestly it was a very you know pretty uh kind of medical commercialized presentation with the box i was like yeah like this is where this is where we're starting to go and that's where stuff like you know, uh, I can't even really see that, but the dental side in dental side in, yeah. You know, I, I think it's it's only a matter of time before we start kind of using the the alternative modalities. But yeah, we've got to have the research, we've got to have the supporting evidence. Mm-hmm. I think it's super interesting hearing from your perspective because you're you're in the system, you know this way better. The economic strategy side of it, just all concepts are horribly, 
you know, uh, foreign to me, but absolutely important for the movement. Yeah, there's, um, if the system's broken in any way, I would say that it, for whatever reason, over the last 60 years, there's been a lack of accountability about running a tight, efficient, uh, high value business, Mm. right? I mean, that's the other thing that I look at and go, every other industry that delivered those kind of results percentage wise at that kind of a cost would have been forced in this capitalist environment to reinvent itself. So I don't, I don't think it's productive for you and I per se to get into the weeds of the, the big pharma conspiracies and the insurance conspiracies. But I will share this, which is just my story and, my, and, and fact, is that yeah. I didn't want to be back in the U.S. after having practiced for six years in Asia, yeah. where, A, it's pretty damn nice that, you know, you got a driver picking you up at the airport. You know, when you're in Jakarta, you got a couple of police officers looking after you. And they absolutely respect the heck out of American board certified surgeons over there. And consequently, you get to do what, everything you're trained to do. You're not pigeonholed into this surgical subspecialist system here. Um, but I, when I got back and, and was comparing being a practitioner in the U.S. to what I experienced in Asia, um, I called three people. I called my licensing uh, a board here in Wisconsin, the, the medical board. And um, I said, you know, I've got this 184-page medical book in front of me. And uh, I just want to make sure that I am setting up my new practice here in ways that dot I's and cross T's mm. because I'm a dentist and I'm a surgeon and I'm an integrated medicine practitioner. Um, I do stem cell therapy. I do a little bit of dermatological surgery still. I get in the mouth and do some surgery. Um, so can you help me understand so that at the beginning I set this thing up right and it's meeting your criteria. And she said, as of two months ago, our office no longer helps to interpret the medical code book for our doctors. Hmm. I said, well, uh, who, then who should I talk to? And she said, a good malpractice attorney should be able to handle that. I said, what if my malpractice attorney doesn't know how to interpret it? It's written by your office. And she said, get a better attorney than doctor. Hmm. So that was call number one. Call number two was to a family member of mine who knew somebody who was on the board of a major insurance company. And I said, look, um, who took out your daughter's wisdom teeth? And he said, why do you want to know that? And I said, well, just, just answer the question. He said, well, um, this guy at the University of Michigan, who's a colleague of mine, and I said, that's a really good idea. You know, that guy's a specialist, and that's, that's who I have my daughter go to. Um, but I said, the thing is that in your reimbursements, you pay general dentists the exact same as an oral maxillofacial surgeon to take out wisdom teeth. And I thought I had him, Brendan, against the ropes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and he goes, he just smiled and kind of laughed, and he goes, you're asking the wrong question to the wrong guy. He goes, get this through your head. The insurance industry is a for-profit industry. We answer to shareholders just like any other company. So if, you're, if our workers, the people who are producing our product, are willing to work for a lower rate, of course we're going to engage that and pay that rate. Mm. So the question you need to ask is to your national organization, which you pay $2,000 a year to belong to, Ask them what they're doing in terms of lobbying to make change on your behalf. Any other questions? <laughs> like, oh, I, no, thanks. <laughs> We're good. You yeah. know. Um, and the third call was um, to 
my cardiologist, I developed pericarditis when I got back from Borneo because of parasites and no one wanted to believe it. Um, but my cardiologist nurse is who I called because at the end of my last visit to the cardiologist where I said, look, I don't want to take colchicine, man. Okay. I don't want to take indomethacin. Um, I want to find quercetin and other uh, turmeric, curcumin, natural ways to reduce inflammation around my heart. And I want to meditate and I want to fast and I want to do cold plunges. And he's glazed over. His nurse came back in the room, shut the door and locked it, which is always scary. Yeah. And goes, I want to be one of your patients. Mm. And I, at that point, I was so frustrated. I could have just cried, you yeah. know, but I, she's the one I called and I said, do you still want to be patient number one? And that's how this thing got, this thing got rolling here. So um, it's, that was the beginning. We've set ourselves up as, I, and I think the modern practitioner, for any of your listeners, really has to think about their practice as a three-headed um, uh, individual, a three-headed professional. Mm-hmm. You've got to be a really savvy clinician. Mm-hmm. You've got to be a really savvy business and marketing person. Yeah. And you have, to, you have to understand technology wearables and software and that dynamic interface with the, gr- the, gr- the growing blue screen that's in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. And I don't think like if, if you don't have the thick skin to be all three of those people or gulp, you know, enter into partnerships with two other people right. at, where there's lateral discussions about all, all those things simultaneously, then you're probably better off joining one of the groups. Mm-hmm. But we just from the beginning said, we're going to be an incubator for citizen scientists we're going to um, have consultants or independent contractors who help bolster the marketing and business side as well as the technology side for us. And uh, we now, three years in, we now have a really robust community of people who it's very bilateral. Mm-hmm. You know, they email with fantastic questions. I don't learn as much from my patients as they do from me, but I can tell you this much I learn a heck of a lot more from my citizen scientists now than I did 10 years ago doing surgery. Right. And that's how you create fulfillment. But the piece, the piece that you are, you and I still, you know, are dancing around is we just like that insurance guy. We're business people, mm-hmm. and and that's the other part that the citizen scientist community that we sort of chafe them just a little bit with yeah. is like, hold on a second. So you want me to jump on a call with you for twenty minutes to help you solve problems, and you think that should apply to the consult we had last week? right? Mm-hmm. Like you're an attorney, a corporate attorney. Would you ever do that for one of your clients? Right, right. You know, well, yes, but they're on a retainer. So how do we introduce this idea? And this may be the hardest piece for guys like us that we're running a business and it needs to be for profit. And if it isn't, you're not going to have a happy, productive practitioner and the practice is going to suffer. Mm-hmm. So you held up dental side and in biobotanical research. Every company like that, which you and I wholeheartedly um, believe in them from A to Z, um, it doesn't mean that we as practitioners on the community just kind of roll over and take whatever they give us. Mm-hmm. We have to be networked not, and not unionized, but we have to be, have some solidarity about what our value is. Yeah, right. What's your worth to go out and do a talk that may lead to 200 new people buying those products? What's your value for mentioning that product on this podcast you know what's what's our value um meeting with a business owner who has a change in trajectory the life trajectory that impacts the fitness of their company right those are the questions that 
as much as I don't like to go there, people like us have got to keep splashing that up on the windshield. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise I get practitioners, nurse practitioners, uh, chiropractors, quite a, quite a collection of different people coming to me now saying, how do I do it? How do I move from the system-based insurance-based to, to having a more fulfilling life? I don't want to be, you know, in the 92% that aren't fulfilled anymore. Right. And uh, it's a gut check, man. It takes testicular fortitude and a whole lot of faith to do it. But how cool is it that you and I get to talk about and research and collaborate in a space that because of our personalities, we'd be doing this anyway. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's the upside. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about it. <clears throat> I just feel like if, if it doesn't set your soul on fire, why do it? You know, and, and what's the point? And it's, you're, you're a horribly impressive dude and so knowledgeable across so many different areas. And so it, it is really cool. I'm kind of curious here a little bit about, you know, like how you even got to where you're at. Obviously, you look back across the years and, you know, I think of it myself. I'm like, how did I get here? And what am I even doing these days? But it's just like, you seem like a very passionate individual. But, you know, for listeners, I mean, you're a medical doctor, you're uh, a dentist as well, correct? And then yeah. surgery, but then you're also integrative. Um, so now you're building the space, you're building your own tribe of, you know, citizen scientists. And I think that's what it takes. I think it, it's going to really take kind of a new, you know, breed of, of leader in this healthcare space that is setting the tone, setting the example. Um, and I love where, yeah, when you kind of set out on your own to do your own thing, it's, it's whatever you want it to be. And obviously your vibe tracks your tribe. So I think just the, the way that you're operating and uh, the message that you're you're emitting it's drawing like-minded people to your tribe and so you create that but as soon as you do anything that's out of alignment with kind of your innermost truth that's where you know the the, the bad juju comes in and you start attracting not the right kind of energy not the right kind of you know individuals so and you know Brennan, um i think on that uh, memorable taxi ride in arizona to the airport i think <laughs> I think that may have been that that commentary you just offered may have been that kind of the heartstring connect for both of us because what you just said in terms of authenticity and honoring um, your work at a heart level it it brings up this idea the, that people really don't want to accept um, at the regulatory level or the business level or the citizen scientist community that the number one unmet public health need is mental health. Mm. Here in Milwaukee County, I just got news last week when I was uh, meeting with that, the, the board for this big hospital that we had 25,000 admissions to our psychiatric hospital here last year, mm-hmm. which is run by the county, taxpayer dollars. They're shutting it down. Just we're out of it. We're getting out of this business. And so the major hospital systems are scrambling. And some of the rhetoric is like, what is that means our ERs are going to be full of schizophrenic who are schizophrenics who are disrupting the experience for other patients mm-hmm. rather than can you doctor help me better understand why we have such a massive mental health problem mm-hmm. all of this speaks to this notion that the idea that the system is broken and that we need to be agents of change within the system to me is ludicrous we need to figure out ways to accelerate the development of the new way Mm-hmm. And I think that that's going to be continue to be led by citizen scientists, some of whom happen to have huge dollars as resources and want to actually build something 
new institutes, if you will, around that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the hindrance, which I just can't get my brain around, is why our regulatory bodies are are putting a governor on that that development. You know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't understand um, as advanced and developed as we are. And I get the money piece, and I get big pharma, but there's there I don't understand why our government is making it hard for the citizen scientist community and investors in that space to build up this area, which taking it right back to your comments, our space, the citizen scientist integrative holistic space is much more equipped to deal with the heart and the soul of people. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the system is bailing out, hitting the eject ripcord gone from dealing with mental health. Those practitioners who are in the mental health space space already feel totally overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Our community is recognizes that health is a top-down phenomenon. Yeah. Thoughts become proteins, right? Thoughts uh, become proteins. I like That's, that. Make good proteins. We get that. So we have this opportunity, this community. If I'm, a go- I'm at, if I'm at the government level, even the state level, well, forget that. How about just a city? Let's take, let's find, let's you and I find a progressive city. Maybe it's Denver. That's too big. We got to find a small Asheville, North Carolina, and go meet with their mayor and say, hey, we've got to have more proofs of concept. You know, mm-hmm. um, Colorado did it with the hemp industry. Yeah. And look at the tidal wave effect, but. We need to find a small, like Singapore is a city country, right? Mm-hmm. So many people want to try concepts in Singapore because if it works there, it's a city level and a country level um, proof of concept. But we have the opportunity to help spill over from our, our joy space and our health space and our anabolism space into this massive void in need over here, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that becomes, if there's listeners and, you know, in your community, that becomes some leverage content to just keep asking that question, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Hey, Hey, Mr. Politician, Mrs. Politician, why would there be any impedance in, in growing up and formalizing, or at least just making it easier? You and I don't really care if the government formalizes us or not. It's just making it don't just remove the obstacles. Right. to us growing our sandbox and look the benefit is we're going to start to help fill that need mm-hmm. um oh you mean you guys have answers for schizophrenia um maybe um but i can tell you this much we have answers for young people that will help reduce their risk of getting schizophrenic breaks in their 20s mm-hmm. right pretty pretty damn sure about that yeah um and it and I think I happen to think that guys like yourself who really understand nutrition, understand the value of testing and no movement and strengthening. I think the motor cortex mastery coupled with good nutrition and knowing how to choose the right biomarkers for conditions, mm. guys like you working with people like me, that's the future. Mm. And uh, many of these psychological issues and uh, can be fixed Emotional things can be fixed through motion things mm-hmm. very often, you know? So um, I think, and I think in the middle there, the, the second point that I would offer up as leverage is beyond the mental health piece is 
is anyone really scrutinizing what's going on in the hemp industry? Mm. I mean, that was the great citizen scientist experiment, right? Totally. Um, and the irony here in Wisconsin is that the Wren family back in the 40s and 50s was one of the largest producers of hemp in the world. And so this issue is coming back to root here. And uh, I'll be meeting with some politicians in Madison, our state capital, about it. But it's kind of a hot topic here. What I don't, what I don't understand is that in end of May, the FDA had its first public hearing on this topic. And the PhD scientists who they invited to come there told them, and I have an editorial which we can um, send out to your listeners. Yeah. Um, but this, their, their PhD said, you, you have fallen so far behind the public on this issue that unless you're willing to radically change your approach, I don't see you ever catching up. Mm. And my question is, why isn't Google at that table? Why isn't Amazon at that table? Why isn't Facebook at that table? Because to me, that's the, that would be the missing link to help catch up. Right. Right? Right. So we're, on the one hand, <clears throat> we have the rhetoric and the editorial but on the other hand, is our, real, is our citizen scientist community, Brendan, are they really engaged? Are they really active? Um, are they out there, you know, throwing the, the proverbial picket signs up a little bit? I don't see it. Yeah. Um, and in the meantime, what is happening doesn't even really make sense. You know, their CBD, um, the Israelis have been using CBD and non-THC hemp oil for two decades to control anxiety and asthma and all kinds of things. Um, why do we have to try to reinvent the precedent? Right. There's just so much that doesn't make sense there. So between the mental health piece and just taking this very hot growing topic of hemp oil, not cannabis, just hemp oil. Yeah. Let's keep challenging the mindset, the people, you know, the influencers and the regulators because we're all in this to make the world a better place, right? Mm -hmm. Right? So we, say. So we yeah. say, yeah. So what are your thoughts on hemp oil? What are you hearing from your community that, you know, as you work your business and your clients? It, you know, it, it's such a, like right now, it's, it's all about the, the CBD and the keto. That is all anybody wants to talk about. And, you know, obviously, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a science dude um, by heart, kind of nature, and so I'm down the rabbit hole with, but, um, you know, certainly everybody, I guess we're, uh, the big thing, there definitely is this increasing awareness movement going on. I, I, I see so much more activity within kind of spiritual cultivation, holistic health, all these things. But there's still, you know, this this instant gratification, the the quick fix, the you know, what do I take to whatever, um, and so like CBD and keto, those are the the hot things right now. I mean, uh, you go to Paleo FX or KetoCon or, or whatever, and it's just if you're not doing the ketogenic diet, you're not drinking bulletproof coffee, and you're not doing CBD. Like, do you even care about your health? Is kind of <laughs> kind of where things are at right now. Um, so it's interesting. It's in and, and everybody's trying to get in on that. Um, yeah, it's it's super fascinating. What, what about um, uh, w one of the things that I'm inspired by and this front edge, and you and I talked a little bit about it is fasting as a gateway to spiritual breakthrough. Mm. You know, to me, that's one of the greatest evolutions in the integrative space. Yeah, is it's it's free. Yeah, it's it's cheap. It's free. 
and it's the upsides in terms of that 12 to 18 hour window where growth hormone and testosterone anabolism repair just start to get exponential. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a metabolic reset opportunity and people are out there lecturing and, and uh, Volter Longo and the longevity diet, his group you know, has progressed that to even being able to offer you a five day box of uh, the fasting mimicking diet, which yep. is oxymoronic and interesting to me. Yeah. Um, that we are, you know, we're doing a fasting mimicking diet and, and that diet involves opening packages, which are inherently should be a cautionary tale. Um, yeah. but nevertheless, I think, I think you, um, and I get the fact that putting yourself in a fasting state does something spiritually. There's a detachment, there's a revving down of gluttonous energy yeah. and in there you come to a place of identity, right? Um, and you know, you know it in your own walk, and I know when I fast, that's that bizarre idiosyncratic energy that comes up Oof, good when words. you, ha- you know, when you get the breakthrough. Yeah, it's like for me, two or three o'clock in the afternoons, my my misery time, mm-hmm. where I just want to mow a dead cow. <laughs> yeah, but then around three thirty or four, this strange strong anchored energy that just rises up that allows you to sit right in front of the best plate of lasagna in a fasting state and be like, that has no control over me. Mm -hmm. What else, you know, by association emotionally in the limbic center is, are you also detaching from that loses its control? And is that the energy that's coming up? I Mm -hmm. think so. Yeah. You're untethered to these things emotionally. Right. Right. Um, and I, I think that we focus a lot on the, med, the metabolic piece of fasting. Yeah. But what you and I vibed on was this idea that people are, people are using that as a gateway, even if they don't realize it, to build real strength, inner strength, and reestablish you know, their identity. Right. Um, right. Certainly, the blood sugar regulation, the re- restoration of insulin sensitivity mm-hmm. has big impacts on mood um, and brain function. Um, but there is a, there's an enigmatic thing in the middle of this discussion, what I call the spirit domain of health, that we're, that's the, another thing. We're just going to have to be okay with that. Yeah. Um, you know, coming back into the U.S. in 2014, 2015, everywhere it's mind, body, spirit, medicine, right? And compared to 2007 when I left, there were very few yoga studios in 2007. Now they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. But the mind, body, spirit buzzwords are now everywhere. But if we are truly incorporating the, the mind, the body, the spirit domain into this paradigm of healthcare, how do you assess and address the spirit domain? Well, right? that's kind of the big thing. And, uh, you know, earlier this year, I was hanging out with one of my mentors, Dr. Brian Walsh, and, you know, beautiful weekend seminar of just intense blood chemistry analysis and all the science. But we ended the weekend with really kind of going more into the psycho-emotional realm um, and, you know, spirituality or religion or or just psychology and and self-help and all of this. But ultimately, he provided all these awesome papers really demonstrating how, you know, the, the health detriment of loneliness or, you know, having a lack of purpose in your life. And so to me, I kind of look at the, the spiritual and psycho-emotional stuff as like, 
aren't we all just kind of trying to find purpose, you know, in this world? And aren't we trying to cultivate that? And, you know, there's the, the hedonic pursuit of, oh, just run towards pleasure, run away from fear versus, you know, really pursuing self-actualization. And I think, I feel like that is what everybody's looking for and craving. And, and then how you find that, like what vehicle do you take to get there or pursue that is, is kind of up to the citizen scientist. But then as, as to your point there of like, how do we, how do we quantify this? How do we, you know, measure and assess and scientifically validate? Um, and so, yeah, it's in, we're, we're doing all these other uh, ventures. It's super interesting. Yeah. I think uh, you, you mentioned self-actualization and I yeah. talk, most of my patients, clients, citizen scientists are at the top of Maslow's hierarchy. Mm. And I, I've got a, blog piece I'm going to be sending out this week on the modern Maslow's and um, what I observe at the very top in the self-actualization is this is the golden triangle which in that self-actualization the very very top the the 0.01 percenters they get dizzy you know it's mm. like try to stand on a peak mm. and if you're only you only feel safe associating with other $200 million club people, private jet people, country club people. And eventually what I see is people start to get dizzy and they look for expansion through alcohol and drugs mm -hmm. and risk taking. And what I tell them is I've written scripts for guys to take their kids to third world countries, like a prescription pad script. Mm -hmm. I don't know any other way to fix your issue with your kids than for you to go show them what the bottom of Maslow's looks like. Yeah. Right. So if you're not reaching up to this enigmatic spirit domain, something much, much bigger than you that you can't control, and you're not reaching down to help other people get up Maslow's, right? Right. What ends up happening, I think, is people get dizzy. It's, it's just part of life that you've got to be reaching into spaces that are slightly uncomfortable, that mm -hmm. you're not sure about, and you've got to be in service to others on some level. Yeah. It's, it's like this purpose triad, right? Who am I going to serve? What do I have to learn to serve them? And what am I going to sacrifice to learn what I got to learn to serve them well? Right. And that counters what I grew up with thinking, which was, if I just go be a surgeon, make at least a half million dollars a year, by the time I'm 45, I should be able to do whatever I want. Yeah. Well, you know what it looks like? Doing whatever you want. I spent a year and a half just traveling the globe. Honestly, the first six months were like, I was... The coolest cat in the planet. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> almost every month after that, I became progressively more miserable. Mm. And I remember waking up on the couch of a buddy's place in Vancouver um, about a year into that sabbatical and thinking, oh my God, I need work. Yeah. I need to be beat on a little bit. I need to be stretched. I need to have responsibility. Yeah. And it was, I remember thinking, it almost doesn't, to fulfill that thing, for a human being, it almost doesn't matter what it is. Like I, I thought about just going to get in a UPS driver job. Like in the absence of structure and being having forced adaptation. Yeah, right. That I didn't create. Mm -hmm. Now you go to the gym and you you create forced adaptation because you want a certain outcome. Mm -hmm. I have very successful people who go take up marksmanship and sports shooting and racing cars. That's forced adaptation, but you created it. But when right. you're when you're an employee or you're in relationship, you're really in relationship, 
you get unplanned force adaptation, which somehow, some way, that's this magic thing that yeah makes you feel real. I really dig that. I really dig that. Kind of, you know, it's it's in service to a higher cause than ourselves and our own self interest, you know. And that was kind of the big thing that we were talking about in uh, Portland was, you know, really. Um, that self-actualization and, um, you know, sense of purpose, it really does come from serving others. And I was talking to my friend Kiran, um, you know, big microbiology guy. And it's like, you know, the human body has more bacterial cells than, than human cells. And so then you start, and that's what's so cool about nature is you, at some point, it's like, you, you almost start feeling like we are this kind of, you know, pseudo commensal bacteria on the face of this planet. And you start, I don't know, there's, there's a certain magic to the human phenomena, like, oh, we're so smart, we have this higher intellect. And, and it's, it's our self, like acknowledged perception of something greater. And at some point, sometimes someone's like, you know, I think we are very driven to be this um, kind of bacteria that we're supposed to help our fellow bacteria, you know, proliferate and grow, we're supposed to like that's what gives us uh, purpose and continuity. We are biologically wired and driven, and and I don't mean to extrapolate and pull out all of the romantic uh, human experience of it, but if you just kind of look at it from this like black and white sciency, but that's the that's the beauty in it. So like, go help somebody, go do something, go serve others. Like, don't don't I don't know. That's that's the whole point. You when you look through the lens of kind of Darwinism and evolution and in, in science, like it becomes a lot more clear of like, let's not overcomplicate it. Let's, let's do some good here because we're wired to move in this way. We're, we're not supposed to just be purely self-interested and well, what's the forced adaptation that I want to do for my own, yeah. you know, worldly entertainment. It doesn't work. Yeah. It, I see it over and over. It doesn't, it, it will, there's a glass ceiling to that. Mm-hmm. What we we what we grow up aspiring to is being able to control all facets of life, and we actually need to get that, feel it, understand its weight, its valence, and then understand its deception, and then implode it. Yeah, and do it in a way that causes like a ripple effect to in a in a grand fashion in a way that think about when people hear stories of a guy writing a check and giving away all his wealth. Mm-hmm. I mean. That's a whole nother discussion. I tried to do that with like half my wealth coming back from Asia. And, you know, some of it was used for re- really, really good. And some of it, eight guys got together and went to jail because of it. <laughs> okay, but that, but it's, I'm not attached to the outcome. Yeah. What it did was it did something for me. It freed me. Mm-hmm. You know, I achieved that. And you hold the valence and you own it. And you, your responsibility is to understand all the tools that you've been given, your voice, your identity, your passions, your ability to sing, your ability to build a better body and coach people. But we, our responsibility is to, is to really, it's a different way of loving yourself. Mm. If you start to think about, I love that language, if you start to think about you and the fact that we are kind of a microorganism in the planet, you know, I like that analogy. And whether, whether I like it or not, me owning my authenticity, my gifts, and what I'm not sends mm-hmm. energy, call it the butterfly effect, call it whatever, it makes it easier for the other human bacterial, quote unquote, organisms living around us mm-hmm. to be their more authentic self 
And our faith is that they hold their respond their gifts as responsible citizens and say, you know, I know what this means to the entire biome. Mm-hmm. My ability to sing, my my how sexy I look if I decide to show a lot of cleavage, how that's gonna like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's your responsibility to own that and think about yourself in a different way as influencing the ecosystem around you. I had a really cool moment in this regard yesterday. After a picnic at our church, there was this um, uh, a, a guy who owns, believe it or not, Brendan, we have a surf shop here in Lake Michigan. Oh, really? It's called Lake Effect Surf. They're awesome right guys. On. Yep. Yeah, I saw him walk across the park, and I'm like, Jacob. He comes over, and we start chit-chatting. He goes, hey, uh, thanks for inviting us to your, your birthday bash. Um, we couldn't make it, but I want to let you know that this woman that was on the list of people that were on the invite, she saw my company, Lake Effect Surf. And she called up and she asked what um, organizations we support philanthropically. And, and like, and she, he said, we, we, the only one that we really do is like the beach restoration community. So she called them and made a donation of a hundred bucks on your behalf. Mm. Like I would have never known that. Yeah, right. Right. But that's, a, that's an individual who gets this commensal experience. Right. You understand? Yeah. She's not attached to outcome. She doesn't need the glory. Um, she realizes that somehow, some way, by throwing that good into the system, it, it all makes the sea rise. Right. right. We, our, skincare, um, our skincare line is called I Am Integrative Skincare. I Am. And uh, the reason that it's named that is I was in Asia between 2007 and 2015 at a time when the 20-year-olds and that 30-year-olds we're saying no to the old paradigm of, uh, you know, um, Samuel, you go be architect or you're going to go be a doctor or you're, you know, that like traditional kind of like militaristic Chinese Mm -hmm. dad. They were saying no. Mm -hmm. And the dental students and medical students that were rotating with me, this is what you get, man. We're going to go do some surgery, but then we're going to sit and talk like this. And I would ask them, what are you really passionate about? This is a very American thing. Yeah. And in the first two weeks, it's, well, I'm going to be a dentist. I didn't ask you that. I asked what you're passionate about. Like, who are you? And many of them started getting tearful, saying they mm. love music, the violin. They love to paint. You know, they, they really want to do something with animals, all this stuff. And I was just blown away yeah. that we would suppress that that biome yeah. would have that sort of like antibiotic sterilization to it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That paradigm of living. Right. And so we, we, we built I Am Integrative Skin at a time when the spirit of the individual, the I Am uh, statements were rising in Asia. And it was a really cool synergy. And oh, wow. um, yeah, there, people can check that stuff out on our website. But we, we have a cool mission there to encourage everyone every morning that they, clean, that they cleanse, they restore, and they protect to reinforce almost in baptismal fashion yeah. the I Am. Yeah. I am clean. I am protected. I am radiant. Right. And I am unique. I'm one of 7.2 billion unique works of art on this planet. Yeah. And I'm here for a reason. Yeah. Right? Beyond just my sex appeal. Right. The, I mean, I've helped create a lot of beautiful, more beautiful people. And you and I have been around a lot of beautiful people. People think that sex appeal and physical external power is the greatest force in the modern world. It's not mm-hmm. story, the mm-hmm. story behind that person, their identity yeah. and the thoughts that they have about who they are, how things are going, what they really want. 
that's the most powerful force in the universe. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so we try to, in our, in our branding and our discussions um, and when we interface with our, our clients, it's, we really want that I am statement to be a part of their morning ritual. Yeah. Um, And we believe that if everyone's doing that in this commensal experience, we call the laboratory of life. We really believe that you'll be encouraged to pay more things forward and just the whole sea kind of rises. Yeah. And maybe, Brendan, maybe it rises high enough that a bunch of regulators around the healthcare industry go, guys like Adam and Brendan should be allowed to do, should be allowed to organize with Google a crowdsourcing experience of the citizen scientists around the world so that we're not just talking about hemp oil, but we're, we have vetted very easy to follow user guidance protocols. Yeah. Cause that's a big thing that's missing. And I don't, for the life of me, I can't understand why at this point. Right. right. But maybe, maybe that's the hope that you and I come together here. Right. Um, is that if we, if we do this thing, there may be a spillover effect that allows everyone to kind of have a sniffing salt moment. Like, Mm. Yeah, we're just going to do our thing and be mass unit triage surgery. And we're going to stop trying to pretend like we can be you guys also. Right. Let's, let's work together. Yeah. Crazy <laughs> concept. Crazy <laughs> collaboration. Right. I really dig everything you're saying in the, the I am skin line and, you know, asking these kids what they're passionate about and everything. Because I think, you know, yeah, you said so many really powerful and, and really pretty beautiful, eloquent things. Um, and even kind of getting into the the kind of biology metaphor of life and everything, because, you know, I do, I think we are all very uh, energetic beings. I mean, we're a bunch of freaking atoms and charges moving around electrochemically. It's it's absolutely insane. Um, and I think a lot of the the sense of stuff, you know, so if we think about like chronic disease and, and we think about uh, loneliness, we think about mental health, all these different topics. And a lot of it, I think, is is coming down to this kind of disconnect and uh, disalignment with, again, kind of those innermost truths. And I think mm. your story kind of spoke to that perfectly of these kids that, you know, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a dentist, you're going to be a this, and starting to say no, and well, you know, actually starting to cry. I'm, I'm very passionate about music. I'm very passionate about this. And and that's kind of always where the the suffering comes from is when our outward actions are out of alignment with our innermost truths and i think when we make that alignment i don't know if it's chi or electrons or i don't know what it is but there is absolutely this energy that we begin to emit and we we connect to you know i think about uh like biofilm because i've had other people on this podcast that are into like reiki and all of this stuff and they talk about the biofield this kind of mm. you know almost like this fifth dimension and of course like there's all these different frequencies of energy but my point being, I, I almost kind of picture us all as these, um, you know, again, kind of the pseudo commensal, but it's like we are part of this biofilm, you know, that that we love talking about in kind of the functional space. And uh, we're connected through the biofilm, it's either biofield or the, the universe, whatever you want to say. Um, but I think that's what it is, is it starts with the individual of kind of replugging back in of, hey, what are you passionate about? What's your purpose? What is that? that inner flame that if we can cultivate that is going to grow and spread. And, you know, and so to your point of kind of what we're all about and what we're the, the bigger movements that we're trying to have an impact on, it starts right here. 
you know, it starts right here with cultivating that inner truth, putting it out there. And it's amazing to see everything that you're doing, the impact you're having and how you're putting all of these major, um, you know, kind of complexes infusing it into one. It's, I don't know, it's very impressive. Yeah, Brennan, I, I appreciate the encouragement and I love the idea that this could be a spark to help, even if Google or Amazon aren't going to get involved at a big level, just to spark like-minded people who want to get together, want to organize and just be ha using the language, right? What yeah. medicine does to create a specialty is it creates a new language. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much it. Um, and that's what we're doing here. We're saying, let's, let's make these principles real. Yeah. Um, and let's, let's have the conversation. Let's make it part of the conversation you have with your front desk staff. Let's let the guy at the, the gas station, you know, like if we're going to cultivate this new path in this, in this new community, um, it's got, we got to start with the language that we're using and be intentional about how we communicate. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the, Al Gore went before Congress in 2007, I believe, and said, the inconvenient truth, the planet's got a fever. At that time, insomnia was epidemic. Mm. At that time, we knew the link between inf inflammation and chronic disease. Mm -hmm. What was amazing is that he didn't say simultaneously, the fact that the planet has a fever because of mismanagement of um, you know, our resources um, has resulted in man having a fever on mm -hmm. the planet. The, this mm -hmm. bio, this human film we're describing um, being sick. And we're still not willing to really say that. It's, mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's reasons behind that that people think that they have to have all the solutions. Um, it used to be that physicians were afraid to be bold because they, they would get sued. Um, I, I remember the story of um, uh, Susan Lim in, in Singapore, which you can talk about another time. But the a lot of the bold physicians, forward-thinking, disruptive physicians, have been systematically suppressed. And and so I think the hope of of our community is that um, if we hold each other accountable to the identity piece, the heart piece, the realities of what our value is to the future of our planet and the future of our society, then I think that gives us the integrity to, to keep moving forward. But we're going to have to hold each other accountable to, at a heart level, mm -hmm. at a spirit level. And I think in the spirit domain, the best we can do is just to have people continually doing the, out of all of this for me, what's most savage. And I think you get, you, you believe the same is, are you willing to do that dark slide down the muddy slope into your heart? Mm -hmm. Are you willing to go down there? That's to me, the most savage aspect of what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, people say things to me like this job is killing me. You know, I should be in Mexico teaching English as a second language and like picking up the guitar again. And, and it's like, what are the barriers to you actually doing that? Because yeah. we could sit here having you pay me 500 bucks an hour to go, through all the metabolics and stuff, but mm. I firm, firmly believe that thoughts become proteins. Yes. And you're number one walking out of this concept. That's why I say to everyone patient, when you leave here, what's our number one? Is it your relationship with alcohol? Is it your teenage boy that's driving you nuts every time you pull in the driveway? Is it the fact that you really believe thoughts become proteins? This job is killing me. Mm -hmm. and, and you're having all these metabolic issues. And I hear things like, 
I had this spectacular condo overlooking the city that I would have to give up. What will friends say to me? How will the, how will the human uh, biome respond, right? In other words. Right, right. Um, and most of the time, when people do take that step, and that for me, that was being in Borneo as a cosmetic surgeon and hearing, I was on a beach in Borneo, and I, for the only time in my life, I heard a voice clear as day say, we're going home, we're going after the heart of men, and they're financial men. And I now have like two thirds of my practices, hedge fund and financial advisors. But when I heard that in my heart, that I heard that voice, it stopped me in my tracks on that beach, and I had to deal with it. I tried not to. I did what this patient I'm describing did. Like for six months, I tried to pretend like that's not really there. And it, because right. it doesn't add up. Why would God take me to Borneo, build up this huge influence, do all this surgery on these amazing people, and then I'm just going to go home? Mm -hmm. So watch out for that super tentorial, that prefrontal editor, you know, the me, myself, and I boardroom meeting. Yeah trying to make everything fit yeah right and and yeah. that's the, that is the downside of the system-based medicine is if it if one plus one doesn't equal two and then you haven't run a double blind placebo control study on that to verify one plus one equals two then it's just not shared it's not encouraged right, right. but it to me it's if, if you and i and others around us can cultivate this savage space of like Going into that dark unknown of your heart, yeah, and 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 sharing with others, you know, this is what I think I'm hearing. Yeah, that I should leave my corporate attorney job and go to Mexico and teach English as a second language, but I'm afraid to give up my condo. I'm afraid of what people are going to say. I'm afraid of not being able to buy three hundred dollar heels. And yeah, and 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 we should our posture should be that's all okay. Yeah. That just is the ecosystem. That is the biome we're in. It's the right. film we're in. In it, like, you know, you know, what's really, um, you know, what makes great soil to plant, to plant plants and vegetables and fruits? Fecal matter. <laughs> manure. <laughs> great soil has manure in it, man. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, it's a little bit stinky. It's a little bit gritty. It's a little yeah. bit savage going in there. Absolutely. It is. But can, but can we remove the judgment? Right. Right. Well, and that's kind of the big thing. And, you know, good. I'm so glad you brought this up and we can kind of tie it all together because I think I posted something the other day. I was, I was at a, a show in Portland and um, I, I think part of my thing that I know is something I'm passionate about with this. I mean, even just this podcast, what, what are the, the, the four main topics of this podcast, functional medicine, fitness, psychology, spirituality, you know, those are the things because to me, it's just like it, it's always been all the above, you know, we, we have to movement as medicine, nature in environmental medicine, uh, you know, like, especially we all love talking genetics, epigenetics, oh, well, epigenetics yeah. controlled by the environment. It's like, okay, so why are we not using environmental medicine? But I think um, as much as I love, you know, mold toxicity and metabolics and, you know, fancy biofilm toothpaste and stuff, ultimately, I think, uh, the psyche, the psycho-emotional, the looking inwards, as you're saying, because, you know, uh, something I'm sure you see a lot is I just, you know, I just had this guy um, slide into my DMs on Instagram and kind of one of these like, 
I did a mycotoxin test and I knew there was something wrong with me. Like, I'm really counting on you, man. You've got to get me better, which goes against everything that I say when I take on a client of like, it, literally even my, my podcast trailer says like, I can't fix you. Your doctor can't fix you. Like you have to heal yourself. And it's all about having the right tools, the education, the knowledge. But that's the biggest thing is, as you said, looking inwards, that is the hardest, scariest that like you do. And that's what the whole holistic savage is, is, you know, holistic. Yes. Peace, love, namaste, raise vibrations all day. But this is still, you know, a, a survival Darwinistic reality. Maybe it's more complex. Maybe it's more sophisticated. Maybe we're not hunting and gathering. Instead, we're trading stocks and, you know, politics and stuff. But nonetheless, like you still kind of got to be a savage. You got to be savage enough to, to look inwards, to own your shit, to, to recognize the beauty. Uh, you know, and I, I think the process of self-discovery is largely one of unlearning. You know, we have to strip down, we have to, you know, shed the domestications of our entire life. We come into this world a blank slate and immediately everything is projected onto us. Our future, you know, you're going to be a dentist, uh, small child. You're going to, and, and at some point we have to stop with all the outward looking and finger pointing and well, what supplement do I take to feel better? And what tests do I run? And I knew there were my, if you got to fix me, man, and we got to start looking in the mirror. We got to start looking inwards. We, we have to start owning and working through that because otherwise we'll never get anywhere. So I loved how you spoke to that. It is, it's slimy, it's dirty, it's stinky, it's super painful sometimes, but if thoughts become proteins and we know we can rewire our brain through neuroplasticity and, and we change our very protein, like how many different diseases are due to misfolding of proteins? Mm -hmm. And if thoughts become proteins, see where I'm, you know, I know you know where I'm going with that. Yeah, there, to, to underscore that, there is, I wrote it um, on the bathroom wall here. I had a, a German patient who heard I'm going to butcher this German, okay? But it's alles kann kaputt gehen. Alles kann kaputt gehen. That's German. It's four, four small words in German. Alles kann kaputt gehen. He heard that from his mother over and over and over growing up, which means it's, it's the German version of Murphy's Law. It literally mm -hmm. translated means like everything can go kaputt. Mm -hmm. Everything can go kaputt. So now he's a little later in life and has had massive success and is having some emotional crisis and uh tr tracking him back and his messaging and i saw him light up with the idea that thoughts become proteins he tearfully shares with me you know that what i heard growing up all, what i remember is alles kann kaputt gehen alles kann kaputt gehen everything can go kaput so he said i remember fashioning my vision which was i'm going to go get to work um in this particular field and just pound nails and pound nails and pound nails. And when I did that in response to Alice Khan Kapugain, what people said to me is, oh, he's crazy. He's crazy. He's crazy. Mm -hmm. So everything can go kaput. And my identity is you're crazy by the age of seven. Mm -hmm. That started him. Now he's in his seventies and he's going, why do I feel so emotional about life and my morbidity and my mortality? And it's, we need to unlearn some things here, buddy. Mm -hmm. you, those proteins are that that love letter or poison pen letter or status quo mem, uh, memo 
is going down, knocking on the cell wall, mm -hmm. getting access in, opening up through DNA unraveling and influencing messenger RNA. And literally the proteins that come out yeah. are, are changing. And yeah. how do we do it? That's probably the next time we get together, but, yeah. but it does. It's not, here's what I would say. It's not enough to do mantras. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, and, and the only way I've seen it go is if you actually share with another human being as you slide down the hole, what you're experiencing, what you're grabbing onto, yeah. what you believe about yourself. And if you're not a little bit, if you're not a little bit timid or a little bit concerned or feeling a little bit vulnerable, you're probably not savage enough. I like that. I just, agree with that. And then, and then, you know, Brendan and I, we're going to love you, man. If you're not ready to get that naked and savage, right. dude, it's where you're at. You're only bench pressing 135 right now. It's where you're at. Mm -hmm. so we think that if you breathe better and kept your rhomboids tight and shoulder blades back, you could probably add 20 on right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, dude, come on, bring it in. Yeah. You know? Makes me think of, uh, and then I, I know you've got lots of stuff going on, let you move on with your day, but it makes me think of this, this verse from The Prophet by Cahill Gilbron. Um, you know, and it's, it's a whole verse about love and how savage and painful love can be, but also how exalting and beautiful and phenomenal. And so he talks about, you know, if, if you should only seek love's pleasure, uh, you know, and you're not willing to go through the pain that that real love can evoke and bring and carry with it symbiotically, you know, then it's, it's better for you to kind of step out of that world and step into the gray and seasonless world where you will laugh, but not all of your laughter, and you will cry, but not all of your tears, you know? And so he's really saying like, if you, if you don't have the, the testicular fortitude, <laughs> as we've said a couple times, uh, to do that savage inner work, that's fine, but go ahead and just step into the gray world where meh, that's gonna be your reality, meh. You'll laugh, but not all of your laughter, you'll cry, but not all of your tears. Like that's the reality you've chosen. I dude, even just hearing you say that, man, I shudder. Mm. I I have I am I don't like it. And in fact, the past couple of days, I've just had I, I my I lost my mentor, um, my key mentor passed of, and a lot of mismanaged cancer care led to it. Mm. And um, you know, I've come to grips with the fact that. People who I thought had the capacity and were willing to go in beyond the gray to what love means holistically. Mm -hmm. um, this is a strong reminder based on what you're saying, which is that you're, that's your journey. And, and, if, and not everybody's going to get that. You know, the, they may not have the capacity. I would say half of, half of my, my friends, um, and there's some buoyancy that's good for us to have those people around. Mm -hmm. So you don't stay yeah, right. You know, the buoyancy is needed to come back up. But I, the idea of living what Stanley Kunitz would say in his poem, the layers at the, the very last line, live in the layers, not on the litter. Mm. That, that poem opens with, I've lived many lives, some of them my own, and I'm not who I was though. Some semblance of my being remains. And he describes looking back and seeing these campfires of the different stations from his life. Mm. It ends it by saying, "Live in the layers, not on the litter." Yeah, and um, but not not everyone. Don't expect everyone to understand that that's how you roll, right? Because it hurts. 
Yeah. You know, it hurts to go there. Well, this has been really good. I've got yeah. a patient starting in about 10 minutes. You're good. You're but, good. Um, I'd love it if, uh, if you could help people understand where they can get our IM skincare. Yeah. We've got intelligent melatonin that's been used for 10 years to help people sleep at night. And we've got, if they check out arisemd.com, we've got our research page that shows phase one and phase two of our, our hemp oil research. Phase three is underway right now. Sweet. And then um, whatever I can do to support your mission, man, let me know. Yeah, man. We'll get all the info, have everything posted. Um, are you going to Santa Cruz next month? Or Yeah. yeah. That's, um, uh, yes, I should be there. It's not, it's not 100% yet, but I'm going okay. to try okay. to get there. Man, well, it's uh, it's been such an honor having you on. You're an amazing dude, awesome, awesome human. So knowledgeable. I can't wait to hang out again in person. This has really been a pleasure, brother. Thanks, man. Hey, man. Enjoy your day. Enjoy you your too. patient. Get back to it. All right. We'll see All you right. soon. We'll see you. Bye. See ya.